I'd say the number one thing that keeps people from living a generous life, if I could sum it up in one word, is fear. People are afraid of what if the economy changes, what if my job changes, what if I need the money, what if, what if I don't have enough. And so one of the wealthiest countries in the world, probably the wealthiest country in the world, also has a lot of financial hoarders uh, in it. We are so rich just because we all have a roof over our heads and we all have food on our tables and we all have a car to drive. Um, if you just have a car, you're like in the top 10% of the world. We can always justify uh, reasons to not give. Justification and fear are two very, very powerful emotions and feelings. And so that trust needs to be bigger than the fear and justification. And that can be a pretty scary jump. Um, there's an old proverb that says, jump and the net will appear. And so that's, that's really in some cases what we need to do with our faith. When you can go from that place of, of fear to that place of trust, you're able to be more generous. Statistically, you know, two to four percent of Americans give. And, and of those that give, we're given a very small percentage of our, of our income. Now, I understand that there are needs that come up. Um, we have a home, we have four kids. Um, with four kids, with children just in general, you know that things pile up, that medical starts to happen, that um, they need new clothes, that um, school's around the corner. But the bigger question that I always ask families is, if God were to be here today having this conversation with your finances, would you be excited? to tell them how you've been managing your resources or would you be embarrassed? And I think if, if you're like me, I've been embarrassed many of times, what can we be doing different to be generous? Um, are, you, are you in God's Word? Are you really reading and listening um, to what He is telling us on how to be generous? Y you know, the question does arise, God doesn't need my money, does He? You know, what, what does God need my money for? And you're right, God doesn't need your money. But what, what God does need is followers. And he calls us to follow him. So when you give your gift to ministry, you're giving your gift to move his kingdom forward. And at the end of the day, you're, you're living out what he's called us to do as Christians. I think if you look at obedience being, Lord, help me use the resources you've given me to serve you it, it changes your attitude personally he's not asking for the world from us he's asking for us to provide a little bit to acknowledge everything that he gives us there's a lot of good that's being done and if we all did that if we all would look at what our current giving is and just stepped it up a percentage or two now, where would we be? Where would we be today? Hey, good morning, everyone. As that bumper just kind of teed up, we are indeed in our last week of uh, this series that we're doing 
called Lord of the Things. And um, Dan is not able to be with us this morning. Dan is the site pastor here at, at Kewaskum. If you're new here, my name is Mike Moran. I'm uh, kind of the lead pastor over the whole ball of wax that we call Kettlebrook Church. And uh, Dan, we needed his musical abilities in West Bend this morning on this Thanksgiving break. So we, he asked me to come up here and cover for him. So it's, it's good to be here. I'm always glad to be here at Kewaskum, one of my, the, my favorite sites. And, um, and today we're going to be finishing up this series that we're talking about called Lord of the Things. Whenever I hear that, that music up there, I always want to say, yeah, my precious, you know. So we're going to talk about those things that are, that are so, so precious to us. You know, um, when I was in seminary, I had a part-time job at a mutual fund company called Strong Funds in Menominee Falls. Any, any of you ever, ever hear of it at all? Yeah, Strong Funds. And, uh, and it was great. Uh, it was a part-time gig because I was a student at the time. And what I did was I, I worked in the mail room. I delivered the mail all over the complex. I remember I was talking to a guy one time, and he was talking about strong funds. I said, oh, strong funds, I used to work there. And he says, oh, what were you in investments? I'm like, no, no. He says, oh, what were you, were you in re- retirement? I'm like, oh, no, no. So he goes, well, what were you, the mail boy? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I was the mail boy. I delivered mail all throughout the complex, and so I knew where you know where everything was in in that in that structure it was it was, uh, it was like four stories tall, and uh, and they were actually in the basement was the kind of the, that's where they hid away the IT guys, the IT departments, and the printing and inserting where they printed all the documents. The mail room was down there, and uh, that's kind of where I hid out. The the, the first floor was uh, that was the call center. So it was all these people on calls all day long. They had their headsets on and their computer screens up, and they were answering calls and looking up people's accounts and stuff like that. On the third floor, when I go up on the third floor, that was, uh, that was the accounting department. Okay, so a lot of very serious-minded people up there with, you know, charts to print and, and being, you know, audited, you know, by somebody. And so they were always uh, up there working, working hard. But on the second floor, the second floor is, is where... You, you never really said good morning or hello to everybody because they're so stressed out. That was, that was the investment floor. That was where all the investors hung out. That was where the fund managers hung out. And they're all popping antacids all day because they're under a lot of pressure because their, their funds needed to perform. They were the ones there. That, that was where they actually produced the, the product of strong funds. You know, that was, their name was on the prospectus. And, uh, and if, their, if their fund performed well and got a good return on investment, then, then people would sign up and they'd get more money to invest and stuff like that. And if their, uh, if their product performed worse than the market average, then people started jumping ship. And, you know, that's when they uh, started uh, looking for other jobs and stuff like that. So, uh, so that was the, in- the investment. And, I, and I, I think, you know, they are all trying to do the same thing. They're all trying to, to provide... And, and create a good return on investment for the people who entrusted them with their money. They said, I'm, tr- I'm trusting you with my resources, with my money, and I'm hoping and that you will be able to provide some sort of good return on investment that I can be happy with. And maybe think about God and how God entrusts us with his resources. In life, everything that we have comes from Him, right? We looked at that at week one that everything that we own, everything that we have, 
ultimately comes from him. He is the one who has provided us with everything. That's, that We see that all throughout in scriptures. And could it be that God, at some point in time, is saying, I've given you this stuff, I've entrusted you with my resources, all that you have comes from me. At some point in time, I'm going to ask for return on my investment. Have you used faithfully what I've given to you, what I've entrusted to you, for my kingdom and my purposes and my intentions in this world? Or have you used them on yourself? To do that, we're going to take a look at a parable that Jesus told. You'll find it in Luke chapter uh, 19. We're going to read verses, uh, verse 11. And I think, you, what page will you find that on? Page 743? Something like that. I won't tell you what page it's on in my Bible because I'll give you the wrong page number. <laughs> but you can look it up on your smartphones or your tablets or whatever. And uh, as we're turning there, why don't we just pause and pray and ask God to bless our time together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take the words of your son, Jesus, that he spoke 2,000 years ago, and you would make them as powerful and as poignant and as profound to us today as they were 2,000 years ago. Lord, a lot of us get a little skittish and squeamish when it comes to talking about money. And I think that that perhaps says a lot more about us and our heart and where we're at than it does about you. And so I pray that you would be gracious and kind to us um, this morning, that you'd be gentle with us to reveal where we're at but yet to remind us of the reality that you are going to come again and you're going to set this world to rights. And at that point, you're going to ask, what have you done with what I've entrusted to you? So I pray that you drive this point home to us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 19, we're going to read verses 11 through 27. I'm going to read it and then we'll kind of take a few minutes just to kind of pick it apart there for a while. So while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master said, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. 
I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina from him and give it to the man who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Whoa. Okay, so let's take some time and just kind of take this apart and kind of kind of talk about it and see if it has anything at all to say to us today. Verse 11 starts out, it says, While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So this is the context that they're in. The followers were following Jesus. They assumed that he was the Messiah. They believed that he was the Messiah. They were right on track on that. But their understanding of Messiah was that God was going to come, in, or that he was going to send the Messiah. Messiah was going to overthrow the Roman government, set up his government, set up the new temple worship, and the Jews were going to rule the world Okay, at, at, that, at that time and place. And, uh, and Jesus has a little bit different spin on that. He wants them to know that that's not exactly going to happen in the time frame that you imagine it. Okay? He says, and he, in order to let them know that he is going to become king, he is the Messiah, but it's not going to be exactly the time frame that they're thinking of, he tells them this story. He says, say, there's a man of noble birth, and he's going to go away, and there he's going to become king, and then he's going to return. Okay? So right away, Jesus sets up this scenario. He says, he says, it's true, I am the Messiah, I am going to become king one day, but there's going to be a delay. There's going to be a delay. I'm going to go away, and then I'm going to return and come back. And this is very consistent with what Jesus always said all throughout the scriptures. In Matthew, three different times in the book of Matthew, as we're working up to the death of Jesus Christ his, and, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, kind of his going away, we have these verses. Why don't we throw some of those first few verses up there? This is Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, okay, when the Son of Man sits in his glorious throne, okay, that's going to happen at the return when he comes, comes back. You who have followed me also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's telling this to his disciples. Next verse, Matthew twenty four thirty. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man of heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay, here he comes. He's coming on his with his kingdom in all of his glory. That's not now. It's after this delay. And then lastly, in Matthew twenty five thirty one, when the Son of Man comes. Okay, this is coming in the second time in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So Jesus very clearly has always been saying that he has two comings. He has his first coming in humility where he's going to die a sacrificial death on behalf of all people for their sins and then he's going to go away. Like the man, like the man of noble birth in the story, he's going to go away and there's going to be a delay. 
And we are living right now in that period, in that time frame, when there is a delay between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, when he comes to be crowned king in all of his glory, and he's going to set this world to rights. And in the meantime, he has entrusted us with things. So, now we know in Jesus' story, in stories, there's always Jesus' one character, and, you know, we fit into the story somehow also, right? So in this story, who do you think we are? Any guesses? The servants, yes, that's right. We are the servants in the story. And in the story, it says he gives each one of his servants ten minas. So if you have a footnote in your Bible, you know that a mina is worth about three months' wages right there. So roughly anywhere from ten to 20000 something like that, okay? Ten to $20,000. And he says, put this money to work until I come back. So two questions here that we have. What is a mina, and what does it mean to put this money to work? Okay? Because if we're the servants in this story, we've got to figure this out. Okay? Because Jesus has entrusted us with stuff. So if a mina in the story is worth about ten to 20000 what is the mina that Jesus has entrusted to each one of us? I would... Submit to you that it's anything that you can claim any kind of responsibility or authority over. It's what you have. It's what you own. It's what you drove here today in. Okay? It's, it's just to sum it up in, in three, three different things, it could be your time, your talents, and your treasures. I'm going to add one more to Stuart Briscoe's famous triad there. Your testimony of Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life. Your time, your talents, your treasures, and your testimony of Jesus Christ. Your time. We all have the same amount of time, okay? This is something that's given quite equally to each person, at least as far as their, you know, a, a day is concerned. And he's saying, what have you done with the time, the days that I have given you? Have you spent them all on yourself or is there anything that you are engaging in that furthers my kingdom agenda? Remember, the second question that we asked them is, what does, exactly does it mean, what is a mina, and what exactly does it mean to put this money to work? When he says, put this money to work, put this mina to work, he's saying, use it for my agenda. Leverage it for my kingdom purposes. So all these things that God has entrusted to us, he's saying, Is there any sense at all where you are using it, leveraging it, utilizing it for my kingdom agenda in this world? And the first one he's asking us is your time. Is there any way that you're spending your time at all to see the kingdom of God expanded or extended? I just got a chance to spend time with a couple of people who went to to, uh, the North Caucasus in Russia, and they went there on a, on a trip, and they went there to encourage some missionaries that are doing some very, very strategic work there. And that now some of these people gave up vacations to go there. I mean, and if you got two weeks of vacation a year, and you give up one whole week to travel to an area of the world where there are no believers, 
no churches, no followers of Jesus Christ to encourage the workers that are there. That's a sacrifice. That's a sacrifice for the kingdom of God. There are people at Kettlebrook Church who is just like, they're the busiest people. They have five kids in tow, you know, and they are here every week, you know, doing media or doing music or helping set up in some way, doing our children's ministry. And, and I'm, I'm, always, I'm always surprised. We have people like that, and then we have some people who, uh, one of our sites, they're on setup and takedown once a month. And occasionally we'll get the call and we'll just say, I just need a break. <laughs> I'm like, really? Like you're on once a month and you need a break? You know, it's like, and do you know that there are some people who are here like every week setting up and they've got kids in tow and they're like, you know, doing everything. They're like, you know, but it's when your heart beats for the kingdom of God and God's heart beats in you or you are concerned about the things that God's concerned about. You're concerned about his glory, glory being known throughout the earth. You realize your time that you've been given is not your own, but that. God asks that we would be using and utilizing and leveraging our time for some of his kingdom purposes. Your treasures. Your treasures are something that God has given to you. He's entrusted you with with the money that you earn, the resources that you have. And he has asked, like we just saw in the video, that he's asked that we demonstrate that we acknowledge that and we honor that by giving back to him and to his cause and his purposes and his kingdom endeavors by giving back to him. Now, in the Old Testament, the, the unit that they were asked to, to give back was a tithe. It was 10%. Okay? And in the New Testament, we don't see any indication that that really changes at all. In fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you know, you guys tithe all, everything that you have, but you're, you're not concerned about things like justice, mercy, and uh, things like that. He says, you should continue to tithe, but also be con- concerned about love and justice and mercy and things like that. Jesus doesn't abolish the tithe. He just says that we should add to it being concerned about justice. And when we give back to God just this little bit, this 10%, We're saying to God, everything that I have comes from you. Everything that I have. And I acknowledge that you are the Lord of it all. And you let me keep 10% of it. Now, as you grow, again, as you grow in your heart for God, some of you are like, whoa, like, is that 10 with a zero at the end after it? Yeah, that is. And this, some of us have grown in this area, okay? Some of us are still growing in this area. But um, I have a friend. Who he tithes regularly, and uh, he said the first time that he wrote out that check, after he saw on God's word that this is what God is is expecting of him, he said it took him two hands on his pen to write out that first check. But he's grown in that, and he does it with joy and with gladness right now. You know, in this whole series we've been talking about um, giving, I ran into a couple last week, and they came up to me and they were just beaming. Just beaming. And they said, you know what, Mike? They said, we have never tithed before in our life. And this week we're doing it for the very first time. And I was actually, it was two weeks ago. He said, we're doing it for the very first time. And you know what? They were glad. They were filled with joy. They got it. They got it. And so time, treasures, talents, these are the things that God has poured into you. Okay? He's given you 
talents, and he expects you, us to use them for his ability. Now, everything that you have, all the talents, all the gifting, all the abilities, if you use them and redeem them for God's purposes and God's kingdom, it's a spiritual gift, okay? Some of you guys have the gift of doing the deals, all right? <laughs> You're just deal makers. That's a spiritual gift if it's used for God's purposes. We have a guy who's a shrewd businessman over at our, at our West Bend site, and he is leveraging and using his ability to start businesses, to help start a business in Montenegro so that we can employ guys there and employ Christians there and help, uh, help Muslims in Montenegro come to know Jesus Christ. He's a businessman. He starts businesses. He's like, that's what I do. And I can help do this in the Sanjak region of Montenegro. All right? And so he's just a, he's a great businessman. He's using his, his abilities that God has given him. I had breakfast yesterday with a guy who's a painter. He paints buildings. Okay? And what he did is he leveraged his abilities as a painter to paint the new facility that we have in West Bend. Great guy. But he, he saw his ability. He saw, the, he saw his gifting that he's been given as being on loan from God. And he said, how can I give this back for God's kingdom to be expanded and extended in my area and around the world? What has God given to you? Okay? What is it that God's... If you're an accountant, do you know what? You can, you can use those accounting skills for use in God's kingdom. you know how many not-for-profits would kill for a good accountant? Okay? To help them run the numbers? And even here, on the, we could use you on the count team, all right? Some of you are, are into construction, okay? There are ministries that can leverage guys who, who use construction. They don't want someone like me. I can guarantee you that, okay? They just, they let me do the demolition, all right? Because they can always clean that up. But when it comes to like building stuff, they, they want Dan. That's who they want up there. They want Dan for that. But you, any skill that you have, any ability that you have, if you if, if you're have the ability to, to make money or if you have the ability to watch kids or anything like that, any ability can be used and leveraged for God's kingdom with a little bit of creativity. So ask yourself, what is it that God has gifted me with? The guys who are up here leading music just now, it's great. They see the talents and the abilities and the skills that God has given them as being on loan from God, they want to give back to God out of what he's given to them. And we're all grateful for it. So time, treasures, talents, and the last thing is, is testimony. One thing that God has given each one of us is an understanding of the gospel, of his message. And in one of the parables that Jesus t- talks about, he, it's very clear he expects from each one of us who has been entrusted with the message of the gospel to do something with it, to multiply it. Who is the last person that you've told about what Jesus Christ has done in your life? Just think about that. Who's the last person you ever talked about where you actually articulated what Jesus has done in your life? Now, if you can't think of anybody, that's okay. That's good information. Okay, that's good information for you. Just use that and say, okay, God, 
You've given me the message of the gospel. You've given me the testimony of what you've done in my life. You're going to one day, you're going to, I'm going to stand before you and I'm going to be held accountable for the message of the gospel. And if I've never ever told another single person about the gospel, that's going to be an uncomfortable place to be at that point. I want to read you a letter that we got, an email that we got from a gal. This is a gal was one of our kids' teachers uh, in the West Bend School District. She had just started attending Kettlebrook. She says, I loved every bit of being at Kettlebrook on Sunday. Over the, over the past several years, I have had the honor of watching the impact of Kettlebrook on one of my dearest friends and her family. This gal, she names her name, has taught me what faith looks like in action. She welcomed me into the fold with some amazing girlfriends who all attend Kettlebrook with whom I had to fort with each fall for the women's retreat. I marvel at the way they exude faith, humility, and grace, and it has made me a better human. Each fall, I struggle to understand why I haven't made the commitment to join a faith community and have felt shame and guilt and confusion about my lack of connectedness to a church. Every year, I am welcome to join them in worship and invited to come to the services every time I found some excuse not to go. It's been so puzzling to me. Why haven't I got myself back to church, especially when my relationship with Christ is stronger than before? What's holding me back? This fall, I shared once again this internal conflict, and one of the gals encouraged me to make an I will statement, a statement of commitment to go to church for four weeks and see how I feel. She was quickly supported by the other amazing women who sat, snuggled into that gathering with me, and at that moment, I knew it was time. I want to thank you for fostering a faith community that felt so immediately welcoming. I feel renewed and uplifted. And I think about this letter that we've gotten. And how many other stories are like that? Because some person or a group of people reached out and said, you know what? We have this incredible message of how good God is to us, how he's changed our lives by by Jesus Christ. And we don't dare keep that and hold that to ourselves. And they go out and they shared it. And because of that, this gal now has eternal life. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Time, talents, treasures, and the testimony of what God has done in your life. Those are the things. Those are what it looks like to have a mina. And then what can we expect? Let's say we take all these things that God has, God has gifted us with, okay? Our time, talents, treasures, testimony, and we're, we're faithful with it. We use it. We leverage it for God's kingdom. We want to see God's kingdom come in all of his glory and the people around us. We want to see people become disciples of Jesus Christ. What are some things that we can look forward to at Judgment Day, on the day when Jesus returns? First thing, this thing, I got this from a pastor. His name is uh, Greg Rafferty, I don't know, I listened to a message from his like years and years ago. I just want to make sure I give him credit for this. Lafferty, I don't know who this guy is, but it was a good message. These things stuck with me. And um, the first thing is that we can look forward to commendation, all right? The first one came to me says, sir, your mind has earned ten more. He says, well done, good servant, his master replied. Well done. Don't you want to hear that? From Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, to hear commendation from the one who's, who's going to sit on the throne forever and ever and be king. 
to say to you, well done. You have been faithful with what I've entrusted. You've used it for my glory. You've used it for my kingdom purposes in the world. And to hear commendation from Jesus Christ is just going to be an amazing thing. The next thing we can look forward to saying is not only commendation, but promotion. Promotion. He says, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. Wow! He was just given a mina. Like, 20,000 bucks. And he was faithful with it. What does he get? Ten cities to rule. Now, I have no idea what that looks like in terms of eternity. I don't know if Jesus is being literal or figurative here, but I think it's pretty cool. He gets in charge of and responsibility and authority for a lot more than what he put into it. He gets this huge, huge promotion. Jesus is essentially saying to him, listen, while you're on earth, in those few short years that I gave you, I entrusted with you some, with some talents. I entrusted you with a gospel. I entrusted you with some resources. And you didn't see that as being used only for you and your, your selfishness. But you used it for my kingdom purposes. You know what? I'm going to trust you with more. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a promotion. I'm going to give you more responsibility. Whatever that looks like, that's incredible to me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And the last thing that we can look forward to is, is not only commendation, not only promotion, but uh, also celebration. In Matthew 25, in the parallel passage, he says, Good job, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful on a few things. Now I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. There's just this huge celebration. At the end of time, what we see is we see a feast. And Jesus himself comes around and serves us at the feast. And there's this huge celebration. There's huge joy. There's huge happiness because the kingdom has come in all of his glory. Sin and selfishness and everything that does evil has been rooted out of our world. And we get to enjoy God's presence forever. Now, Jonathan Edwards says this. He's a preacher who, like, lived in the 1800s, all right? But he says this. He says, all of us at this time who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ are going to be filled to overflowing with the joy of the Lord. It's just that some of us are going to have different capacities for holding that joy based on how we have lived our lives here on earth. Some of us are going to be super tankers and just be filled to overflowing with joy, the joy of the Lord at that day. And some of us might be like little shot glasses because we were like the last servant who didn't trust that God is a good God, a loving God, a, a, a gracious God. But we thought he was a hard man and we were afraid of him. So we never got around to doing anything with what he's given us for the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I want to be the biggest container I can possibly be on that day to be overflowed with the joy of the Lord. And I want to do whatever it takes here on this earth 
If it means saying no to stuff, I say no to stuff. If it means doing things that I might not naturally be inclined to do, I'm going to do those things that I might not naturally be inclined to do. But I want to be the biggest container possible to be filled with the joy of the Lord on that day when Jesus comes back. Wouldn't that be great if all of us had that kind of attitude and said, we started living for eternity and eternity in mind with everything that God has given us. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I meet a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Jesus, who aren't necessarily excited about Jesus' second coming. They understand that we're living in this time of delay between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming, but they're not really looking forward to that second coming. And, and it makes me think about the time when we were watching Gwen Jorgensen run the triathlon in the Olympics this summer. Any of you see, get to see Gwen Jorgensen run that triathlon? Graduate of Waukesha South. Where's Greg? She's from our alma mater. Yes. All right. And, and, and she's out there. She won the gold for the, for, the, for the United States. And I'm watching with my kids on that Saturday morning. And, I, and she crosses the finish line. I'm just bawling and I'm crying because I'm so overcome with emotion. And my kids are like, what's wrong with you, Dad? And I'm like, well, having done a few triathlons in my life, I, can, I know a little bit of the sacrifice that she went through to get there. I know a little bit of the... The, the, the sacrifices that she made and the pain that she went through to train and the, to have the perseverance to go through that. And when you understand it a little bit, you are filled with joy at the result when they cross the finish line. And I wonder, I wonder if there's just some followers of Jesus that just aren't excited about eternity because they have no understanding of the sacrifice that needs to be made in order to get there. And they're not too excited about meeting Jesus at some point. But if you have been sacrificing and living for his kingdom and seeing all that you have and own as just being gifts from him to be used for him and for his kingdom purposes, that day becomes a little bit more exciting. So may you all know that you're living in a delay the delay between Jesus' first coming and second coming, and that all that you have, all the time, all the talents, all the treasures, the message of the gospel has been one great gift from a loving Father. But he's not just given it to you for your purposes. He's given it to you that you might leverage it and use it and utilize it for his kingdom purposes in the world. And if you do that, you get to look forward to a lot of stuff. You get to look forward to accommodation from Jesus. You get to look forward to some kind of promotion. I don't know what it looks like, but Jesus promises it. And you're going to look forward to a huge, huge celebration. So let's commit to be generous together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you just for a moment just take the blinders from our eyes? 
we've been living in this world where we just see advertisements thrown at us and everyone's talking about Black Friday and we've got Christmas coming up. We're thinking about the next thing that we want to get. And I just pray that for a moment you would transport us to that day when you come back in all of your heavenly glory. You don't tell us this story to make us afraid. Lord, you tell us this story with this incredible promise. If we will be faithful to open up our hands and release just a little bit of what you've entrusted to us. For your kingdom purposes both here and around the world, you promise us that that sacrifice will not be in vain. Help us to live each day, Lord, with that day in mind. And I pray that the Spirit of the living God would fill our hearts and our minds with the heart of God for the lost people of this world. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.